You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The night before the deadly violence in Charlottesville, a federal judge issued what would prove to be a fateful order. The order said the city had to let the demonstration take place in Emancipation Park, the site of the Robert E. Lee statute that was slated for removal. Statute, not statute. (laughs) Judge Glenn Conrad rejected the city's effort to shift the protest to a larger park two miles away for safety reasons. The ruling put the demonstrators, including white nationalists, in close proximity with counter-protesters. Did the judge strike the right balance between free speech and public safety? Our guest to talk about that is Josh Blackman, professor at South Texas College of Law who teaches constitutional law. Josh, thanks for joining us. You were actually in Charlottesville at the time, or at least the night before the violence. Uh, Tell us about what you experienced there. Well, thank you for having me. I think I have a knack of being in the right place at the wrong time, or maybe the wrong place at the right time. Um, I was in Charlottesville to attend uh, uh, my co-clerk's wedding, and um, shortly after the rehearsal dinner finished on Friday night, um, I was driving back to the hotel and um, along Main Street and passing near the rotunda. And in the distance, I hear this faint chanting, and I see these uh, uh, lights surrounding Jefferson's uh, rotunda. Uh, my first inclination was that it was a candlelight vigil. Uh, but then as I drew closer, I realized that they were holding torches and that the chants, though incoherent, were saying something about the Jews. Uh, and then I figured out pretty quickly what was going on. The, uh, the group of white nationalists had decided to descend on the Capitol Rotunda in Charlottesville and uh, a stage a protest to support uh, uh, their, their ideology. Um, but that was only the prelude. The following day on Saturday, um, uh, an assembly was formed at uh, Emancipation Park, formerly called Lee Park, which is where a statute of Robert E. Lee uh, was prominently featured. And that, that, that riot uh, that ensued resulted in injuries and even a death of a person, as well as two um, Virginia State troopers who were in a helicopter um, that crashed. So this is a, a, a very horrific weekend that raises... Um, a significant First Amendment free speech question. Josh, let's just make it clear that the group, including the white supremacists and nationalists, had a First Amendment right to protest, clearly political speech. They were represented by the ACLU, and they applied for a permit to protest. Tell us about the legal dispute that took them to federal court. Sure. So the general rule um, in constitu- I'm sorry, in constitutional law, is that the government cannot discriminate on the basis of one's speech. They can regulate the time, the place, and the manner in which you speak. Um, initially, the city of Charlottesville granted a permit to these white nationalists to protest at 
um, uh, Emancipation Park, formerly Lee Park. Um, but about a week ago, upon receiving various information by social media, the city uh, uh, determined that the park wouldn't be big enough and that they needed a bigger place. They offered to move these white nationalists about a mile away. Um, the ACLU filed a lawsuit arguing that this violates their free speech rights. And one of the key arguments is that the white nationalists had their permits canceled for this park, but other counter-protesters, the so-called anti-fascists, they were allowed to continue protesting at this park. Um, late Friday night, the federal judge granted an injunction requiring the city to allow the nationalists to march at the site. So, Josh, it's easy to, to sort of look back and say, boy, if the judge only hadn't issued that order, um, things might have happened differently. But in your mind, uh, did the judge strike the right balance between public safety and free speech? Um, he got it exactly right. Um, it's an uncomfortable sentiment uh, uh, for sure. But the fact of the matter is um, under our Constitution, when the government wants to restrict speech, they have to meet a very high threshold. And here, what, what happened is that the government did not put forward adequate evidence to justify removing the permit. Had the government simply moved the protest there in the first place and not canceled the permit in the interim, it probably would have been fine. But the decision to grant the permit, then cancel it, I think basically made this case up, uh, turn out to be what it was. So you're saying because it then looked as if it was to the judge as if the it was based on content rather than on safety, exactly. and you're not allowed to discriminate based on the content of the speech. That's exactly right. Josh, what's what, what's the burden on the government here? Um, it, it, you know, it, normally if a government says to a court, um, "Hey, we've got real safety concerns about something," we would want to take those pretty seriously. Uh, why doesn't what the government you know, say about safety concerns, which proved to be true, um, you know, why don't they have an awful lot of weight? Um, the reason why the safety concerns were not adequate is that the government only relied on um, social media posts that, you know, one Klan's member said in a podcast that we're bringing 3,000 people and another skinhead said on his blog that we're bringing X number of thousands of people. And the court said that that evidence was simply not adequate. Uh, in the law, there's something known as strict scrutiny, the idea that when you, when you want to restrict speech, the courts will be very skeptical of the justifications for doing so. And speculation based on social media uh, didn't, didn't meet the requirements. I want to thank our guest. That's Josh Blackman. He teaches at South Texas College of Law, uh, teaches constitutional law there. He uh, was also in Charlottesville. Um, Josh, I guess you, you, you left town on, on the day of the protest to go visit, um, if I uh, remember correctly, correctly, another president's home um, uh, from President James Monroe. Uh, but uh, Or no, James Madison, sorry. Uh, in any event... Uh, Thank you for talking to us about the demonstrations in Charlottesville and the violence there. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.